So I had to grab that video clip because I, I, think, it, I think it speaks for itself in a lot of ways that we all, we have the people that we know and we have the people that we relate with and identify with. And the boxes that we draw for that are really actually kind of narrow and they're not really well defined and, you know, they're just kind of flaky things. But when we start talking about who we actually are inside, you saw that people started coming together. People from this box started going out here. People from that box started combining with them. And we find out that we're much more alike each other uh, than we think based on what we see when, when we look. We have this kind of just physical. So as we go through this series, what we're finding out is that relationships, um, they're a little bit different than we think about them normally. They have a lot more to them than what first comes to mind. Well, I know them because I played a sport with them or because I did this with them or because they dress like me or they look like me or whatever the thing is. And then that's why we're friends or that's why we're brought together. But we're finding out there's so much more to actual relationships and really to building good relationships than that physical appearance. And while these relationships can be amazing, they can be amazing to know other people and to do life with other people, we're also, we also know deep down that they can be difficult, that they can be, uh, they can be scary, they can be draining, they can be painful and awkward, and they can be uncertain, our relationships. And so uh, what I find is that um, because of these things, we can isolate. We can choose to move away from people because it can be scary to get known. It can be scary to be with other people. So we, a lot of times people will just kind of walk away or walk out or back off. And uh, it can be tempting to do this because it's easy, right? It's easier a lot of times to separate from other people. It's easier to walk away from something than it is to engage it. It's so much easier. Right? In the short run, it's easier. In the short run, it can save pain. It can save discomfort to walk away from a relationship that's difficult, to walk away from a, a relationship that's, that's causing us some sort of discomfort, some sort of pain. And so while isolation may save us some of these things in the short run, uh, what happens in the long run, isolation becomes really, really dangerous. Just walking away becomes really dangerous to our health, to who we are as people. So today I want to talk about the dangers of isolation as we go through this series. And there's a, there's a story in the Bible um, that talks about the process of isolation. And it talks about it um, in, in, almost in a what not to do for a good relationship kind of way. So if you ever wanted, a lot of people go for the Bible for what to do, but every now and then you can go in the Bible and you can find what not to do. And so this is like the ultimate what not to do guide to relationships today. And we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to be skipping all around in this uh, chapter. But if you're familiar, this is the story of Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel are the first two sons of Adam and Eve. Okay, Cain's the older, Abel's the younger son. And Cain is a, a farmer. He works the land. He's, he's, he's into produce and dirty fingernails and all that kind of stuff. And then Abel is very opposite of Cain. Abel uh, works with animals. He's a, he's a shepherd. He has flocks that he takes care of. So they're different kind of people right off the bat. 
And as the story goes, there's a time when they come to offer gifts and sacrifices to God. And Cain brings produce, right? He brings crops. And Abel brings something from the flock, sheep or something like that. And they both make these offerings to God. And as the story goes, it says, God looked on Abel with favor, and on Cain, he did not look with favor. And so as the story goes, uh, Cain plots to kill his brother Abel. They go out into the fields, and he, he does it. He commits the act. And after this, God comes to Cain. And uh, God says, where's your brother Abel? And there's this famous line in the Bible where Cain says, I don't know. Am I, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper that you come to me? And so we pick it up in, uh, in verse 10 here. It's going to be on the screen. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You've banished me from the land and from your presence. You've made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. So this story, Cain, we'll call it, um, this teaches us three things about isolation. And if you have, uh, if you have notes came in, if you're playing along at home out there, um, we're going to get into the first one here. The first thing that this story teaches us about isolation is that there are many ways to isolate. There are many ways to isolate. The first way we can isolate is probably the most obvious, physical isolation, right? Physically isolating. It's the simplest to get, but this is when we withdraw from other people, right? This is when we slam the door and walk out. This is when we hang up the phone when we're mad. This is when we get in the car and we just drive. This is when we create separation between us and whoever we're engaging with. Sometimes this can be a good thing, right? Because sometimes we need some space. We need some space to process. We need some space to rest. We need some space to get some clarity. But often what happens is it becomes a way to avoid the interaction. I don't want to deal with it. I can't deal with it. I just, I got to put it out. And so we avoid the messy work of relationships when we do this, when we physically isolate. And when we do it, it's also easy to distort what actually happened. When you, when you get away from the problem, it's easy to start playing it over in your mind. Anybody done this? You play it back in your mind five, six, seven times, and then you call somebody. You don't call the person you're having the problem with. You call somebody else. And you complain about it. And you tell them what they did. Oh, they did this. And then they did that. And then the problem, it just gets bigger, right? It becomes worse than it ever was. It becomes way different than it ever was because our memories are terrible, especially when we're upset. And then so when we get away from the problem, it, it just festers. Anybody had that? It just festers in us. And it changes shape. This is what happens in verse 6 with Cain. So right after I told you they both brought a sacrifice, and one was accepted, one was not accepted. The very next passage is God counseling Cain. So Cain has left. Cain has walked away. You can almost picture Cain stomping off into the distance that his 
His sacrifice wasn't accepted, and his brother's was accepted. He stomps off into the, to the distance, and, and he lets it fester. He lets it wound, and, uh, wound him, and, and it says, the scripture says he's dejected. God says, why are you dejected? Why are you angry? He's bitter. He's jealous and embarrassed. You know, we, we get this way. We get embarrassed about what happened. We feel shame about what happened. And so as Cain lets it fester, it obviously it, it, it becomes a poor outcome as he kills his brother later on. But this type of physically separating ourselves, Paul said, um, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to get upset. But Paul said, don't let, your, don't let the sun go down on your anger when you're angry with somebody. Don't let it go down. And it, it, it's kind of a nice phrase, but there's a lot of wisdom in that. Don't give it too much space. Don't separate too far. Don't let it build. Don't let it get forgotten. Don't let it fester. All these types of things that happen when we physically remove ourselves in relationship from the people that we're having difficulties with. Now, isolation is not just a physical thing. It's not just about proximity. It's not just about nearness and closeness. Um, What it's about, uh, the next three things we're going to talk about are, are a little bit deeper, but there's a study it's been going on for 75 years, which is very impressive for this kind of study. And a guy named uh, Robert Waldinger is the head uh, of a study. Uh, it's called the Harvard Study of Adult Development. The Harvard Study of Devo- Adult Development. And what they've done for 75 years, if they've followed the, the lives of 724 men for 75 years. So they got these men when they were very young in their teens, and they've been following their lives for 75 years. And the purpose of this study was to try to figure out what it is that creates full, healthy, long lives, happy lives. They were, they were going to try to see if they could follow these people and they could discover what it is. And so these people are from all walks of life, all socioeconomic classes, uh, everybody from, you know, bricklayers to uh, corporate types, that there was uh, a, one president of the United States was a part of this. So this wide spectrum of people. And what they found over this course of 75 years, they'd call them every year, they'd interview them, they'd get their medical records, they'd talk to their family, they'd talk to their friends. They would do all this kind of research on these people to see how they were doing, see how their lives were going. And what they found out was that it didn't matter for a single person how much money they made, it didn't matter what career path they chose. It didn't matter where they were at in position in their job. It didn't matter what neighborhood or city or part of the country they lived in. It didn't matter the kind of house they lived in or the stuff they had. The number one thing they found that led to healthy, long, fulfilled lives with a much greater absence of mental illness was close, meaningful connection with other people. Not, and I'm not talking about going out and, you know, being a social butterfly and, and knowing a close, meaningful relationships with people. This was the number one factor to long, healthy lives. And so this leads us to the other three ways we can isolate. Now, these other ones, we don't always recognize them, but they, these are the ones that affect the quality, the quality of our relationships, okay? So you know that... Um, Physical isolation is not the only thing. In fact, right now, you can be lonely in this room. You can be lonely in a crowd. You can be lonely in a relationship. So it's not just the physical proximity that matters in our relationship. 
Have you ever been with somebody who was obviously a million miles away? Right? You're talking to them, you're sitting there with them, and they're, they're obviously gone. Anybody? Has this been you? you? Someone talks to you, are you paying attention? Yeah, yeah, of course I am, right? But you have no idea what just happened like the last 12 minutes of your life. This happens so much. This is mental isolation. This is mental isolation. Uh, when my son watches TV, you could do anything. You could snap. I can clap my hands in front of him and snap. We could have a giraffe come and lick his face. He wouldn't, he wouldn't notice. He's gone. He's there and only there. He's mentally isolated. And we see this all the time now, uh, especially in our smartphone culture, right? We sit next to somebody. Do you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. What? Oh, hey, you're still here? Right? We have this all the time. And it's us, too. It's not just them, right? It's us. We're all. We all get this way. We can be mentally isolated from each other when we start to just focus on other things. And the problem with this is this is when we miss the good stuff of life, when we're not paying attention. We're not paying attention to each other. And what happens is we usually are living in, in one of two places. And neither of these places actually exist. So the first place that we like to live in is the past. The past no longer exists, but we live there. We live in the mistakes. We live in the hurts. We live in the what-ifs. We also live in the good stuff, too, right? Like how back in high school, you know, I, could, I was a soccer star. and We live in that, too. But all these things, the bad and the good, actually create depression for us now because it's the what could haves what was, but that isn't anymore. So that's the first place we can live. The second place we can live that doesn't exist is the future. We spend a lot of time worrying about the details for that and how do I get to here and I got to plan for this and I got to do that and our minds just go there and we can be away from the people we're with. But while living in the past often produces depression in whatever form, I don't always clinically, but some sort of depression, living in the future causes a lot of anxiety I got to get this done. I got to get there. I'm not where I thought I was going to be five years ago. I haven't done this. I haven't, I, this is how I got to do it. So we create these realities that don't actually exist, and they lead, they lead us to poor outcomes. One thing that mental isolation leads to very often is addiction in whatever form. You can be addicted to just about anything. It leads to addiction in whatever form because addictions help numb. They help numb pain. They help numb fear. They help numb anxiety. They take us away. They detach us from what's going on. And so this type of mental isolation can cause addictions in, in whatever form, things that will help. The other thing it can do is cause extreme rash actions because we're not thinking things through. Have you ever done that? You just you realize something had to happen, you forgot about it, and then you just make a decision because you weren't like, mentally present there and it turned out to be a bad decision, like a, like a gut investment decision that you didn't really think through or something that, to that degree. They cause us to do things that we haven't thought through because we're not present with them. The popular term right now is presence. Have you heard of presence? This is mindfulness, right? Be present. And presence is talking about when you're with somebody, be with somebody. When you're doing something, do that thing. Don't do five other things. Don't think about, don't multitask. We can't actually multitask. Does anybody know this? We can't actually multitask. We're actually, we're just shifting our focus really fast. Focus, 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 focus. It's like a dog seeing a lot of squirrels. 
right? It's not multitasking. He's just moving his head really fast. And that's, that's what we think we're doing, but we're not. And that, so we're not present. We're not in the moment. We're just shifting really quickly. But when you're present, you're calm. And when you're calm, you feel safer. And when you feel safe, you make better choices. When you feel safe, you relate better. This is presence. We need to get away from the mental isolation. Okay, the third one, emotional isolation. Anybody here asked, ever asked, how, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? When I ask Jude how I am feeling, he goes, no, don't ask me. Because apparently I do it all the time. But we get asked this all the time. Most of you probably got asked it walking into church today, right? Hey, how's it going? How you doing? What's going on? And if you're like most people, your answer is, good, okay, well, fine, whatever the thing is, right? A one-word answer, a handshake, and you're on your way. Everybody's smiling, right? That's what we get. And it's because when we emotionally isolate, we withhold from other people what's happening inside of us. What's going on? What's really happening? And we have a lot of reasons for this, and some of the reasons um, it can be fine. We don't want to take a lot of people's time. Right? I, don't, I don't want to take all their time. They, they, if I actually told them, we would be here all day, right? If I actually told them what was going on, it would take, it would take too long. Um, sometimes it's not the place for it, right? Well, there's a lot of other people around here or, or whatever thing. This is, isn't the right environment to go into that. Um, sometimes we know that they don't really care, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a greeting, how you doing? But other times, it's, we don't want to burden them. Have you ever said this? This is a mom thing. This is a mom. Any moms in the room? This is a mom thing. My mom, my mom says this all the time, like four months after. Well, I just didn't want to burden you. I didn't want to burden you with it. And we say that. And we say it, and we think it's nice and good, but it's, it's withdrawing. And it's kind of at the basic level of it. Um, but it's still withdrawing from people. And what it really boils down to a lot of times is that we don't trust other people. We don't trust them with this part of ourselves. We don't trust them with this information. We don't trust them to not judge us for how we're feeling or for what's going on in our lives. Right? There's a trust issue in this. We have to keep up our Instagram image lives. Right? We can't let other people know what's going on. And this is damaging because it, it creates distance from the people around us. When, when we're not able to fully tell them who we are? How can somebody really know us? How can somebody really like us? How can someone really love us if we're unwilling to tell them who we are? If we're unwilling to know who they are, how could we really love them? How could we really know them? And so it creates a little bit of distance on both sides. And the worst part is it perpetuates whatever's going on inside of you because you're not able to open up about it. It just stays inside. It just stays inside, and we hold on to it. And so it damages us. At the end of, at the, end of the passage we read, um, in verse 14, Cain, he says, whoever finds me will kill me. These are, these are kind of his last words. Whoever finds me will kill me. Banish me from the land. I'm going to be a wanderer. Whoever finds me will kill me. This word finds here is partially translated. Uh, a better way to really translate it is to uh, say whoever recognizes me or whoever finds me out, whoever knows me. This is what Cain is saying here. Whoever knows who I am and what I've done will kill me. 
Cain is afraid of being emotionally exposed. Here at the, he's afraid of his whole self being exposed. And so he isolates that. The fourth way, spiritual isolation. Spiritual isolation is what happens when we reject the image of God in others. So in the story, Cain takes his brother into the field. And it says he kills him. And then God comes and asks him what's going on. And he says, I'm not my brother's keeper. It's almost this uh, sociopathic scene where Cain's whistling Dixie. and He just killed his brother and God asks him what's going on. He's like, I don't know. Nothing new today. Right? It's a spiritual isolation. And that's an extreme form, I understand. But spiritual isolation is what happens when we reject the image of God in other people. When we don't see other people as valuable, when we don't see other people as created by God on purpose, when we start to do that, when we start to take that away from other people, we create distance. And it causes us to be able to justify just about anything. We can justify violence. We can justify discrimination, right? We can justify bullying, lying, stealing, playing favorites, using other people. We can justify all this when we think of them as less than who we are, when we spiritually isolate from the people around us, when we forget that we are all created by God. Two chapters before the Cain story, God creates all people. And God creates them, and he says it's good. All people are good, and God puts his image in all people. And God says there's a purpose for all people. He doesn't say just for one human. He doesn't say for one people group. He says for all people, all humanity, created in the image of God, with God's spirit breathed in is the words. We're all holding on to that. We all have that. And so when we neglect that in, in other people, when we, when we say that's not there, they, they're not like me, they're less than me, I'm better than them, we begin to create this spiritual isolation which leads to all sorts of really terrible outcomes. So I don't want to belabor that. I said there's three things the story can teach us. The first is that there are a lot of ways to physically isolate, right? There's, or to, to, to isolate. There's physical isolation, there's mental, there's emotional, and there's spiritual isolation. And it's not a linear progression. It's not this, then this, and this. It's, we can do any of those at any time in any way, and we do. It's a part of who we are. The second way, or the second thing the story tells us about isolation is that isolation is about us. It's about me. It's about the individual. That's what isolation is about. When we isolate in whatever form, we become the center of the story. We become the meaning of the story. If you remember Cain's response when God explains the consequences, you'll be a wanderer on the earth, um, and uh, uh, the, the ground is no longer going to give food to you no matter how hard you work, right? Cain's first response is that it, it's, too, it's too much of a burden. In other words, he says, woe is me. Cain turns to self-pity with the consequences. There's no remorse. There's no, this is what I've done, and this is who I'm becoming. It's self-pity. That's his first move. Because he's made the story about him. He's made everything that happened about him, about his rejection, about his shame, about all that. It's about him. And so the focus becomes inward. 
In Proverbs 18, it says, He who willingly separates himself from God seeks his own desires. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. And we see this in the Cain story because I told you after, your, after they presented their offering, he kind of he physically separates himself, and then God comes to him and God talks to him. God begins to counsel Cain in this story. God says, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it. We give up sound wisdom when we make the story about us because we don't see how the right thing to do could benefit me. We don't see how it's good for me. All we see is our hurt, our problem, our perspective, our needs. All we see is us inwardly. When we isolate, it becomes about us. And the third thing this story tells us about isolation is that it's a burden. It's a burden on us. Do you know they use physical isolation as torture? It's a torture device because it's hard on it. It taxes us to be separated from other people, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever. It's a burden for us. Cain says this, my punishment is too much for me to bear. He understands that the separation is a burden. It's a terrible thing. He'll be a homeless wanderer. He says, I'm doomed, essentially. He understands that the quality of his life is tied into his relationships. It's tied into his connections. And that becomes a terrible burden for us. I'm going to end here in a second. Um, but as I do, I, I want to I tell you that there's another lesson here. So the three lessons we learned is that you can isolate in a lot of ways. Um, that isolation makes the story about us. And that it's a burden. Isolation is a burden. But there's a bonus. There's a bonus lesson in this story. And it's, it's the beautiful part of this story. Um, the bonus here is that no matter what we've done, no matter what Cain has done, that God never isolates himself from Cain. God is always there for Cain. God never withdraws. And so at the very end of the story, um, after Cain says, whoever finds me will kill me, God speaks again. And God says, no, for I will avenge you sevenfold for anybody that tries to harm you. Okay? And then it says, the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. This, this end part of the, of the passage is, it, it, it's more of a literal translation than really the meaning of it there. So people have always speculated on what the mark of Cain is. Is it a scar? Is it physical appearance? Is it a nationality? Is it, you know, is it a reputation? Is what are these things? But, but it misses what the words mean there. The word for mark also means Miracle which we miss so often because it doesn't make sense with how we want to tell the story, right? It says there's a miracle. God put a miracle on Cain. And as it goes on, it said that that second time the word kill comes up in that sentence so that anyone would kill him. That word also means judge. So it's a, it's a, it's a very flexible word. So what I think the author is telling us here is that it's not that he's just, God is providing for his physical protection, God wants to make sure he doesn't die. He does that in the first part. If somebody kills you, they'll be guilty just like anybody else would be guilty. But then I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you a miracle so that when people see you, they don't judge you, which is what Cain was worried about, right? Worried about people knowing who he was. And the sign, the miracle that I think God gave Cain was a fresh start. 
the ability or the opportunity for a fresh start. He could sit in his past. He could continue to isolate. He could continue to self-pity. He could continue to be wrapped up in himself. Or he could choose a new beginning. He could choose a fresh start. He could choose to begin to create better relationships. And the very next verse talks about how Cain got a wife and then he had children and he started to create a community. He started to create a family. So I think Cain took the opportunity of a fresh start to create better relationships the second time around. So if there's anything that we can learn from this story, if there's anything that we can take away from the story of Cain other than what not to do, is that no matter what we do, no matter where we fall on the spectrum of isolation, which we all do in various degrees at various times, no matter where we end up, that's not the end. There's always an opportunity for reconciliation. There's always an opportunity for reuniting. And that's what it's all about. Paul says uh, that God was in this world reconciling it unto himself. And now we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation means uniting people. It means bringing it back together. We have all, in some ways, broken relationships. We've all had relationships broken. We've all separated at some times. But there's a way to come back together. And I think that God is always doing that. God has given that as a gift to us. It's a, it's a miracle that we can be reconciled, that we can be reunited with each other, no matter how far we've isolated. So I want us to hold on to that as we continue to work through our amazing relationships, that no matter how far they've gone to the other side of the spectrum, they can be good again.